Ladies and gentlemen, you are now tuned in to the one, the only, Ooh, Elgin Bailey, also known as Big L, here with another long overdue episode of the Page Turners podcast, where we discuss books, we do book reviews, we do book commentary, we read through, walk through, chop up books, uh, in this particular season, season two, we have been doing a very, very important book called Evicted by Matthew Desmond. And let me give you a quick overview of the book and then we'll dive right in. Um, in Evicted, Princeton sociologist and MacArthur genius Matthew Desmond follows eight families in Milwaukee as they each struggle to keep a roof over their heads held as wrenching and revelatory by the nation, vivid and unsettling by the New York Review of Books. Evicted transforms our understanding of poverty and economic exploitation while providing fresh ideas for solving one of 21st century America's most devastating problems. Its unforgettable scenes of hope and loss remind us of the centrality of home without which nothing is possible. And I'm going to say this real quick. Um, I know there's been a gap in between podcasts. And that gap is due to me having a busy life. Uh, There's no excuse. I am committed to do a better job of managing this project. uh, Because it's incredibly important to me is something that I've wanted to do, something I've wanted to build, and I need to be far more diligent uh, with it. So I'm making that commitment to you guys to uh, just be more committed, man, to be more focused, but just realize that I am an incredibly busy dude. No excuses, though. No excuses, man. So, with that being said, there's a a story that came out, man, on August 21st of this year in the New Republic. Uh, And it says, the title is called The New American Homeless. And I'm just going to give a couple of blurbs, man, a couple of little things about this particular article. Uh, Housing insecurity in the nation's richest cities is far worse than government statistics. Just ask the Goodmans. And I want you to to hear some of the story, man. Um, It's devastating. It is troubling in so many different ways. Last August, Kothia Kothia Goodman returned home from work to discover a typed letter from her landlord in the mailbox. She felt a familiar panic as she began to read it. For nearly a year, Goodman and her six children, two of them adopted after being abandoned at birth, had been living in a derelict but functional three-bedroom house 
in the historical, historically black people's town neighborhood of Atlanta. Goodman, who is 50, has a reserved, villagent demeanor, her years trying to keep the kids out of harm's way evident in her perpetually narrowed eyes. She saw the rental property as an answer to her prayer. It was in a relatively safe area and within walking distance of the Barack and Michelle Obama Academy, the public elementary school her youngest son and daughter attended. It was also at $950 a month, not including utilities, just barely affordable on the $9 hourly wage she earned as a full-time health aide. Goodman had fled an abusive marriage in 2015 and she was anxious to give her family a stable home environment. Now, if you've listened to this podcast and you've listened to me go through this book, Evicted, you've heard similar stories. So there's some indication, man, of of what there's something that you should be grasping from hearing this automatically. Let's let's unpack it a little bit more, and we may spend the, the a large chunk of this particular podcast on this particular article, and I will cite this article in the show information for this episode. Kothia, Miss Goodman is what I'll call her because I don't want to butcher her her first name anymore. Miss Goodman, she has six children. Six. Two of them adopted after being abandoned at birth. So she had four children of her own through natural means and out of the goodness of her heart, she adopted two other children that had been abandoned at birth. She was in a marriage that was abusive. So she left and took all of the children with her. She found the house, a three bedroom. So she has this six kids and herself in a three bedroom house. Okay? Six kids herself in a three-bedroom house that's costing her $950 a month in just rent. In just rent. Not including family. Not including Lord have mercy. Not including sewer. Not including water. Not including electricity, not including gas. And those are necessity utilities. You notice I didn't throw in cable, internet, cell phones, or anything along those lines. So let's 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 take a look at this. Nine hundred and fifty dollars a month. Uh not including utilities. So let's let's do a little bit of math. And I'm only going to make her necessity utilities $100 a month. Okay? So we said the necessity utilities. So we got $950 a month. Necessity utilities. 
gas, electric, sewer, water. Okay? So she got four. And in some areas, of course, we know they don't have gas, they don't have sewer and water is connected. But I'm just going to paint it out like this. So we're going to put $100 a month for those four necessity utilities. Okay? So we're looking at $13.50 a month in rent and utilities. Dang. On nine dollars an hour. Listen, you don't even need to pull out a damn calculator to understand. There ain't no way in hell that she's able to afford that. You don't have to be a math whiz to know that on nine dollars an hour. She is not able to afford thirteen fifty a month, and that's just the things that she needs. There's, there's, there's no way. There's absolutely no way in hell. This, this is not possible. Because even doing the quick math and before. Before taxes, man, before she gets, you know, taxes taken out, if she gets paid every week, there's average four weeks a month and most months, occasionally five, okay, but we're just going to do four. That's fourteen forty a month. Do a quick math. I, I, I'm done. I, I'm not even going to do the math. She can't afford this. She got six children, man. Making $9 an hour at as a full-time home health aide. Now, home health aide are people who go into other people's houses and help them with their medication, help with the shopping, help... You know, bathe them and all those types of things. So you usually have to travel to and fro to these places. So that means you either have to have a reliable vehicle or these homes have to be within some distance, some driving distance of or some public transportation distance of where you live. Now, so let's dig back into the article, man, because we already see. We already see the foundation has been laid. The path has been already outlined for us. She can't afford this. She is on the path of future homelessness. She was not. She was not keeping her head against the, up above water. She was not being successful in the struggle. She was on her way to homelessness. There's no. And we gotta stop dressing these conversations up. To make it look like uh, something that it's not. She was on her way to. She she was a missed check away. She was a car payment. Uh, a car breaking down away. She was a child being sick. 
you know, away from being homeless. So let's dig into more more of the story here, man. So she she gets this letter uh, in her mailbox, and let's pick it up here. She knew how easily the house could slip away. Seeking to avoid this outcome, she ensured that her rent checks were never late, and despite her exhausting work schedule, became a stickler for cleanliness. Stroh song, song, so strong was her fear of being deemed a difficult tenant that she avoided requesting basic repairs. So she lived in a constant state of fear of losing her home that she became a, not just somebody who cleaned, but went above and beyond the cleanliness. So just in case... And then, because she didn't want to be viewed as a difficult tenant, she would neglect having the basic repairs. And that's the thing. If you are a renter, your landlord is under obligation to come through and fix things in the crib. It's the landlord's responsibility to take care of that. Which is different than if you are a homeowner. If you're a homeowner and something breaks, it's on you. But she was so concerned and living in fear that she wouldn't even let the landlord know that something was broken. So she would work. She would do everything possible, man, to maintain this home. Barely making it. Not making it. On that path to homelessness. Here, let me let me read some more. But now reading the landlord's terse notice, she realized that these efforts had been insufficient. When her lease expired at the end of the month, it would not be renewed. She did everything possibly right. She was on pay, on time with her pay, her her uh, with her rent. It was never late. She kept a clean crib. She wasn't a nagging tenant. And she still was going to lose her crib. And because in Atlanta, no explanation was legally required. And guess what? They provided her none. None. Here she is. Six kids, nine dollars an hour, scrambling around. Now, within a month, she has to be able to find a home for her six children on nine dollars an hour within the same school district because you know she's not going to want to change schools for her kids. We don't want to do that. We like to have that sense of stability for our children. And trying to maintain this, man. But she struggles. Goodman had 30 days to relocate her family. She began scouring Trulia and Apartments.com for available rentals within her budget. Every night she waited until the kids were asleep before retreating to the couch with her battered smartphone and a notepad. The list of possibilities remained depressingly short. She hoped to stay nearby in order to spare her children a hardship of switching schools. 
but she soon understood that continuing to live in this former working class enclave, to say nothing of adjacent, more thoroughly gentrified communities like Grant Park was out of the question. It was like we'd been kicked out of the entire area, not just this particular home. Now here's where it gets even more tricky. We, we then introduce a couple of factors. We introduce the six kids. We introduce her job situation. We introduce the amount of money that she was making. But let's add some other factors here that makes it even more difficult. And let's talk about Atlanta for a minute, man. Because so many people want to paint Atlanta as this black haven for... This haven for black people that is just a booming place that the black people should want to gravitate to and, and be around and all this the black culture is thriving and doing well there and all this. Let's talk about the other side of Atlanta. Atlanta has one of the highest eviction rates in the country. Atlanta has one of the highest eviction rates in the country. In 2017, 22% of Fulton County tenants had eviction notices filed against them. The number was above 40% in some predominantly black neighborhoods. Goodman once fell behind on rent payments when she was younger, and most landlords and management companies wouldn't even consider a prospective tenant with a prior eviction, especially since she couldn't show evidence per standard application requirements that her income amounted to at least three times the monthly rent or provide a cosigner whose income equaled five times the monthly rent. Now, let's, let's, man, there's a lot right there that we need to talk about, okay? She fell behind when she was younger, so she made a mistake. Something happened when she was younger, whether she made a mistake, poor choice, whatever the case may be. Sometime in her younger years, she fell behind on her rent payments. Now, I didn't say she didn't pay her rent. It says she didn't pay her rent on time. She fell behind. And now most apartments are, 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 are being handled by management companies. So these management companies, these landlords don't want to deal with the whole finding a tenant process. So they hire these management companies. These management companies make sure that these apartments are, are clean. They do the application, they do the screening and all that. And part of their screening process is to immediately look at the number of evictions that someone has. They automatically, they look at that first. How many evictions does this person have on their record? So evictions usually immediately disqualify people from the process. No matter how much money you may be making currently, no matter the job situation, no matter how you may have overcome that previous uh, situation when you fell behind your rent, if you have an eviction, it usually disqualifies you. But if that is something that a management company will overlook or that is not part of the requirement process, or if in cases where, okay, yes, it may have happened when you were younger, you're doing better, you haven't had one in a long time, but to prove to these management companies, you have to be able to have an income that amounts to at least three times the monthly rent. So 
her rent was $950. She had to have income that was going to be at least three times the monthly rent. So she had to be able to have almost $3,000 in income or provide a cosigner whose income equal five times that monthly rent. Then let me know that let's, let's, let's unpack this a little bit because I want you to understand something. This is part of the hustle. This is part of the way these communities are able to be gentrified. This is a tool in gentrification. The, the, these companies already know the population in these particular communities. They know these communities are already poverty stricken. They know how much money these people are making. They know the job situation. They know the job market. They know the transportation situation. They know whether most people rely on transportation, public transportation. They know these things already. They know it. So it was a way of attracting a certain type of clientele, a certain type of tenant. They create these impossible standards for the people who currently live in the community to be able to achieve. There's no way in hell that they did not know that because they, they, they acquire data, they do research. They actually do research to find out what type of clientele tenants that they can have in their community. It's a setup. So not only is Miss Goodman in a position where financially she can't afford, she can barely, well, she can't afford where she was staying. Now, because the landlords want to have a different sort of clientele, a different sort of tenant move in, he decided that he's not going to renew her lease. So now she has 30 days to scramble to try to find a new place for her six kids on $9 an hour. And because she has prior evictions, she can't get into any of these management companies to even be seen or to see apartments unless she has income that amounts to three times her monthly rent, which in her case the 950, we do three, be almost $3,000, or provide a cosigner whose income equal five times the monthly rent. And again, that would be almost five grand. There's no way in the world. She can't, could you, I can't even begin to think about the possible devastation and frustration that Miss Goodman is feeling at this moment. I, she, what is she supposed to do? What in the world is she supposed to do, man? What is she supposed to do? So then she's scrambling around trying to find a place. She finds a place. It's 20 minute drive from her current neighborhood. 20 minutes drive is not the best neighborhood now. The poverty rate is uh, right around 30, 35%. Uh, she, she, her rent would increase $50. Uh, because the, the, the landlord is an older dude, 
he's trying to hurry through the process. So <laughs> in exchange for first month's rent and a thousand dollar security deposit in cash, he agrees to forego a credit check and any other requirements. Again, people who are in poverty I can't even work themselves out of poverty. Here's a woman who's on the verge of physical homelessness and someone literally takes advantage of her desperation in a, in a manner of actually thinking that he's helping her. Oh, he's going to forgo the credit check because I'm sure she probably told him, you know, my credit is trash, not good. I probably got some evictions. So, so here's what I'll do, Miss Goodman. Here's what I'll do. If you can give me a $1,000 security deposit plus the first month's rent, man, we ain't going to do no credit check. We ain't going to do none of that other stuff. He, he preyed on her desperation. And this what takes place all across the country with people in these particular situations, man. And this is a dilapidated crib. The house was dilapidated. She had to convince and coax her children into sprucing up the house. But then once she got in there, she realized it was worse than it seemed initially. The sinks was clogged. Two toilets wouldn't flush. The floor was sagging. The shower head was hanging. The, the, the electrical socket was an issue. So when her son went to plug the doggone lamp into the doggone electrical socket, he got a shock. So when he got a shock, he has to go to the doggone hospital. Next thing you know, firefighters are brought in. Codes people are brought in. The electric company, discerning that there was immediate danger, literally family, cut the wires leading into the house. The building was deemed unsafe and unsanitary. And its use for occupancy was prohibited. So within a couple months span, she's been kicked out of two houses. You see, you see the path? You, you, you see... Now, somebody tell me where, where she could have got out, how she could have worked herself out of the situation, how she could have possibly pulled herself up by the bootstraps in this particular situation, how she could actually have been successful. Help me understand. And here comes, you know, here comes the Red Cross. Red Cross comes through. Uh, they give Miss Goodman a prepaid debit card for food and clothing and several nights at an extended stay hotel. Food, clothing, and an extended stay 
Now here's here's a term that I want to introduce to this this discussion. It's called network poverty. There's going to be two terms, man. Two terms that I'm going to introduce. Network poverty and working homeless. Network poverty and working homeless. Now let's talk about network poverty for a minute. Because that's a crucial one. And one I think that we're not too familiar with. When you don't have no friends or family to borrow money from in dire situations, it's usually called network poverty. Network poverty. Our personal networks of the people living in our poor neighborhoods, they, they, they can't. They, they, there's, there's all of the people within our community, in our network, <clears throat> are in poverty. So network poverty, man. She had no friends or family to borrow the money from that she needed. That's a condition that many social scientists deem and call network poverty. Let me give you this stat right here, man. Because this, this, listen, man, this podcast is heavy for me, man. Because it's a struggle for me. 127 hours per week is what a person who was paid the federal minimum wage would have to work in order to afford rent for a median two-bedroom home in the United States. 127 hours is the number of hours per week a person paid the federal minimum wage would have to work in order to afford rent for a median two-bedroom home in the United States. And this is the reason why I push reparations, the cutting of a check, the actual physical check. Not college, not 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 land, all an actual physical check. Okay, working homeless. Hidden within the world of homelessness has always been a subset of individuals, usually single parents with jobs. What's different now is the sheer extent of this phenomenon. For widening swath of the nearly 7 million American workers living below the poverty line, a combination of skyrocketing rents, stagnant wages, and a lack of tenant protections have proved all but insurmountable. Theirs increasingly is the face of homelessness in the United States. People whose paychecks are no longer enough to keep a roof over their heads. Atlanta, the third fastest growing metropolitan area in the country, 
the third fastest growing metropolitan area in the country. The city's working poor, there is an inverse relationship between their ability to remain housed and Atlanta's much celebrated renaissance. Repeat this, man. Between 2012 and 2016, the city's low-income housing stock declined by 5% each year to the point that today, according to the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, there are only 25 affordable rental units for every 100 poor family in the Atlanta area who need them. Come on, man. Come on, man. Goodness gracious. So tell me, man. Tell me what 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 Miss Goodman is supposed to do. How how do you fix the situation? She she ends up losing her job because she has to go back and forth to to school and to find apartments so they cut her hours so she goes to a homeless shelter and at this time she goes to the homeless shelter and she is still employed but she makes just enough above the qualifications to qualify for shelter what what is she supposed to do man Tell me what she's supposed to do. What what is she supposed to do? How does she? And then she's in the city where the housing resources are extremely limited. And the fact that she wasn't literally homeless. Even though she's telling them that she doesn't have a place to stay, because she was staying and, and sleeping on a a relative's, you know, twin bed, her and her kids, they deemed her as having a place to stay. What? What? Tell me what she was supposed to do. Tell me what she was supposed to do, man. One of the things that we got to be able to push for, man, is rent control. Rent control was one of the most effective tools to alleviate renters' crisis, man. Meaning that landlords can't just adjust your rent because they want to adjust your rent. That the rent has to stay within the level of uh, within the level of what you're currently making. And there's many different models on how rent control works. Man. And we put this 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 idea of 
of, of self-sufficiency, self-determination, that if we can just, you know, work harder and get more opportunities, we need more jobs, we need more of this, more of that. Is that what we need? Is that what she needs? That will solve her issue? And I, I, I spoke before, man, uh, and I, I'm going to move off of, of Miss Goodman. I'm going to move off of her situation, and I'm going to share the article uh, in the show comments. I, I'm going to, because the article doesn't ever state or give an update of what Miss Goodman's situation was like. Here's, here's one of the things that I think we can do. I think we can go ahead and begin to be proactive as far as doubling up. Doubling up is when you have more than one family living in one house. So for instance, you and another family member have semi-decent jobs. You guys find a, a, a place, a house that has enough space, livable space for everyone. And you move in together and you split the, you split the bills, you split the rent, you split the electric, you split everything down the middle. So you have two incomes and in some instances if it's possible you have more than two incomes and you share you share houses i think it's i don't know why we have i, I don't know why this isn't a, a a trend i don't know why this is not something that is taking place on a larger scale uh I have some ideas of why I think that part of, and I'm speaking about black folk here, it's part of black folk buying into the American dream is to reach the pinnacle of that American dream. And that's good job, you know, uh, husband, wife, and owning your own home. That's the pinnacle. If you, if you do those things, you've, you've, accomplished and you've lived out the American dream. But that's bullshit too, family. That's not our reality. The trend needs to become when we begin to have multiple families living in homes. Multiple families buying and saving if we're going to go the actual buying of a home route. Buying a home together. One family, they work together, they come together, they see whose credit score 
is as close to the best and they begin to work to clean that particular person's credit score up with the understanding that that person is going to ultimately take that good credit score and buy a home for all of them to live. That, that's, that has to be the mindset because no one is coming to save us. No one is coming to make it so we don't, no one's coming to bail us out. We have no idea. I have no idea what, what happened ultimately to Miss Goodman. I don't understand. I don't know the, the potential difficulties and trauma that her children face, the, the behavioral outcomes and outcries that her children had in school. I don't know any of that. I can guess. I can speculate. We really have to be more proactive with our solutions, family. Damn. 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 heartbreaking man it's heartbreaking it is so freaking heartbreaking this is your boy Elgin Bailey man with another episode of the Page Turners Podcast until next time I'm out